Morning, everybody. Thank you. Um, it's really great to be here. It's good to be back with you and uh, very grateful to Leadership for inviting me. Um, just by way of a, um, a more in-depth introduction to me, in case any of you don't know who I am, and probably most of you don't, uh, my name's Carl uh, Beach. Uh, people who know me well call me Beachy. You can feel free to use that because basically when you come from Essex, you put a Y on the end of everyone's name. Um, I'm married to Karen. We've been married for 25 years, known each other for 30 years. I know I look like I'm 25, don't I? But I'm actually 47. Um, that's a clean conscience, uh, which comes from, keeps you looking young. Uh, the secret to that is to forgive yourself very quickly, uh, just as the law forgives you. Um, I have a dog called Flick, who is 13 and nearly dead. Um, in fact, she could be dead by the time I get home. It's that catastrophic. Uh, we actually took her to the vet to be put down last week, but she ran in. And 98 quid later, he's still alive. It's actually quite frustrating, <laughs> but love her to bits. Uh, my cat died two weeks ago. And uh, my 10 koi carp, we did have 30, but then we got a pet heron. So, and um, my wife, Karen, has just stopped work as the operations manager of the church I planted uh, five years ago um, to rescue animals. So now I'm going home to find out we've just inherited a mini tortoise. So one in, one out. Uh, that's us. Um, um, I am president of an organization called Christian Vision for Men, which is an evangelistic organization that operates around the world. Um, I'm very comfortable with the title, World Presidente. Feel free to use that. And, um, and um, I'm actually leaving here. I've been away a lot this week already, actually. It's a bit mayhem. I'm leaving here to pick up a 1960-something V-dub camper van um, to drive to Edinburgh tonight to begin something called the Grand Tour, where we're going to be preaching the gospel all over the country and winning as many men as possible and eating as much curry as possible as we can go. So doing that uh, tonight uh, for the next 12 days, culminating in Brighton. We're going all over the place, Scotland, Wales, and um, might even go to Essex. We'll see how the wind takes us. Why not? God's own county. And I'm also um, CEO of something called The Edge, which is an emerging church network across the nation, um, which is specifically focusing on planting churches and networking with churches uh, working at or below poverty line areas. So we, we, are, we, we call it forgotten people in forgotten places. So we have a vision to plant 100 more churches in poverty-stricken areas in the next five years. So that's me. But also, um, I'm a father. Uh, obviously, I'm a husband. I have two daughters. There's a reason I'll mention this as we meander through the talk. I have two daughters. One is 20. One is 19. Um, the 19-year-old is training to be a vet, ladies and gentlemen, in the Royal Veterinary College in Camden, which is um, the most expensive vet school in the world. Um, and uh, I'm very grateful to God that he gave her a fine mind, but it's also a very costly father. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so there's that. And um, so she's a super academic, properly loves animals, and um, she's acing it, doing extremely well. My other daughter, um, they both love the Lord. So Annie goes to Hillsong Central, passionate about her saviour. It's really cool. And Emily is an artist. Uh, she's a fine artist, but at the moment is sort of majoring on uh, ultra-realism with colouring pencils. Sort of colouring pencils you can get for W.H. Smith. The stuff's quite astonishing. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd call it like sorcery. <laughs> and she was like, how do you do that? Uh, but she's also a tattoo artist. So um, she's a, a godly tattoo artist. She only reads the King James Version. And she, she prays and reads the Bible for about two hours a day. She only listens to worship music. If you looked at her, she's, she's got a whole sleeve of tattoos. 
She's got piercings and she's a proper scary evangelistic prophet and a total weirdo. And I love her to bits. I love them both to bits. But I said earlier, I mean, how does that even happen? I brought them up both the same. Me and my wife, we brought them up both the same. Well, one's a super academic and the other one lives in Narnia. How does that even happen? I don't know. I can't work it out. I can't work it out. It's really weird. Well, like my daughter bounced into church the other day, praying in the spirit, saying, Father, look, I've got another tattoo on my arm. Oh, wonderful. I said, she's actually going out with a tattoo artist. I led him to Christ. Then he asked me daughter out. I saw this one of those weird things where I'm really grateful I led him to the Lord and not at the same time. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a joke. I'm from Romford. We joke about such things. He's a lovely lad. But here's the thing. Didn't want kids. My daughters have heard me say this. They know it. I never thought about having children. I fell in love with my wife at 18. I only went to church because I wanted to ask her out. It's a true story. I told it last night to the blokes. She actually refused to go out with me. She said, I only go out with Christians. I said, I am one. So I'm C of E. That's what I said. That's what everyone said back in the uh, 80s. C of E on Catholic. She said, no, I mean, I go out with men who have met Jesus. I went, I've definitely met him once. I'm sure of it. Even faked a conversion. But the day I gave my life to Christ, six months later, she came over and gave me a kiss. I thought I should have done this six months ago. That's amazing. <laughs> she actually gave me a Bible. She wrote in the back of the Bible. She put, I love you, Carl, and I always will. The, the, the week we started going out, literally the day after I gave my life to Christ, she gave me a Bible, put in it. And I've got it on my bookshelf. And I meant to bring it to show the lads at the curry night. Um, it, not for sentimental reasons. I mean, it's worn out because I've really devoured that Bible. But I kept it. Because now, if you ever have a row, because you know, even Christian couples have rows. If you ever have a row, and she's really fed up with me, which is probably quite likely a lot because I'm a really annoying person to live with. Total fidget, ADHD, the rest of it. I just produce that Bible and go, look, you wrote that 30 years ago. You said you'd love me and you always will. And she always proper melts, which is really good. <laughs> but uh, even though I've given the game away, she still melts when I show it. It's a beautiful thing. But I didn't want kids. It was Karen. She said, I, I want children now. She actually said, <laughs> which she still laughs at, we were driving on together. She was a civil servant. I was a banker in the city. And she said, um, I feel like taking a break from work. And let's have children. A break from work. What a funny... Those of you parents, you know exactly how ridiculous that thing was to say. And um, anyway, um, we did... We had our daughters. And the moment I saw my kids... I mean, I didn't... You know, I didn't think about having children. I didn't have this paternal thing going on like some men do. But the moment I held my daughters in my arms, I was in love. I, but, you know, I can't explain what that feels like to people. I can't explain to my daughters how deep that goes. I can't. But like, I'd, I'd die for them. You'd do anything for your kids. It's so hard to explain. I'd even put them through the most expensive vet school in the world. Because <laughs> I love them. you do whatever you can for your kids. The so first great discovery in my life was that really the love of being a dad. Second to the love of my father in heaven. I came my life to Christ at 18. It's interesting, the guy who came up and talked about black and white to colour. Because one of the most phenomenal things that happened to me was standing outside the church, Emerson Park Evangelical Chapel, 22nd of April, 1997, giving my life to Christ at approximately 6.56 in the evening. By five past seven, I stood outside and I was weeping, standing next to my mate Alex Biggs, who I call Big Z, obviously. Come on. You get with it. You got it now. And um, Big Z standing there looking at me going, why, why are you crying? So I was looking at him. I was going, I was proper man crying. 
messy. And um, I said, leaves. He said, what? Leaves on trees. And there's an old bush on the other side of the road. There's a shrub, but I ripped my top lip off in a cycle crash. I can only say bush, I can't say shrub properly. <laughs> my top lip. Sometimes I've got a little lisp, so I can't feel my lip. Which is weird being a preacher. Anyway, there's this small bush on the other side of the road. I'm looking at it and I saw leaves on trees for the first time that were green. It's not like God healed me of colour blindness. I saw the world that God had made for the first time. Colour, honestly, is unbelievable. If you're sitting here tonight, or this morning rather, and you don't know Jesus, you might find this offensive. You say, well, I, I, you know, my life is full of colour and life. I'm telling you, the moment you meet Jesus, the veil comes off. It, it takes things to another level. And that was one of the great discoveries of my life. And I drove home that night through Hornchurch in Essex after I'd stopped shaking, which took an hour. And, and, and looking at people, black people, white people, fat people, thin people, weeping. Because suddenly I realised you're not just people. Uh, before, people were targets. I wanted to join the British Army, fight, which is why a lot of people want to join the forces, I think, in a combat unit. So I wanted to do that. Go and get a lot of money, become a millionaire, take up golf and die. Maybe with a holiday home. And I thought people were targets to get my way. And now I'm looking at people thinking, well, you're God's kids and you don't know it. You don't know. It honestly, heart change. I'm driving home weeping. Tears streaming down my face. I said to the fellas last night, my dad was a flying squad detective. I'm down to him the next day and said, Dad, I'm not joining the British Army anymore. So I met Jesus Christ last night and I'm fighting battles for him instead. My dad didn't even look up from the frying pan and said, you still fancy girls, don't you, son? That's the main thing. <laughs> Which is quite hard to take. But this is the thing. I've met Jesus and it's the game changer. He is the game changer for the trajectory of your life. Everything changes through the filter of Christ. Everything and I had this feeling that like I've got to use my life now to tell people. I can't not tell people. It doesn't matter whether you're a banker, a baker, a dentist, a dustman, a window cleaner, unemployed, struggling in your mental health, a, a mum at home, a dad at home. It doesn't matter what you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, and I want to say this to you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, you actually, he is actually now the driving force of your life. Because one day we'll be in front of him. One day we'll be in eternity together. And what, what I want more than anything else is I'm eternity with my neighbours and my mates and my friends and people I don't even know. And they'll be like, how do you get in? We'll be like, I don't know, how do you get in? It's because of Jesus. Wouldn't it be a catastrophe if one day we're in eternity together and we didn't use everything that God had placed in our hands? What a terrible moment that would be, the realisation that we could have done more. And this is not a beat you up talk. It's just more like, wow, if Jesus Christ is everything to us, if he's true and we say it Sunday by Sunday, lived and died and rose again for you, wouldn't you want to give him everything? And yet we get, we get chipped up about a traffic jam on the M1. It's like, what? Moan about the coffee. What? We've got eternity in our hearts. How amazing is that? I, I, I've I'm going to show you a picture and um, we have a little competition if our cube plants could bring it up. So who, um, the old bloke in the middle there with a the beard, I'll help you out, he's not Gandalf. Anyone want to guess who that is? 
Rasputin knows. Someone else said that earlier. Sorry? Call, call out. Anyone? William Booth. Congratulations. Amazing. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Um, despite probably um, false ideas, he did not go around wearing a uniform carrying a brass band instrument. He, um, he was an amazing man. And actually, his ministry really accelerated in the latter years of his life. This is him in around 1905, 1906. Do you notice what he's standing in? Standing in a motor car. It's a Ford Model T. It became Booth's preferred method of doing evangelistic tours to the poor. This was the man who said, as long as they're orphans, as long as they're widows, as long as they're the poor, as long as they're the homeless, I will fight. An amazing speech he gave, amazing sermon. And yet, he brought up a quarter of the global stock of the Ford Model T. With the equivalent of millions of pounds. Can you imagine the, the, the elders meeting? You've got a few quid in the bank. And you've got, you've got a building to build and staff to employ. And, 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 you know, like Simon says, I mean, this is actually why I'm setting up a Ferrari fund, just to say. Simon says, um, yeah, just, just to reach people, draw a crowd. Simon says, I want to draw a crowd. So I'm buying a few Lamborghinis with the church funds. You know, some people might ask some questions about sanity. And some people would probably dispute it and say, no, I don't want you to do that, Simon. I don't want you to buy Lamborghinis. With William Booth, he got his way and bought a quarter of the global stock of Ford Model T's purely because he knew that if he drove it around the country, everywhere he went where there were poor people, he'd only see horse and cart, he'd draw a crowd. And he'd draw a crowd and he'd preach the gospel. His idea was, let's think outside the box. Let's use everything that God's placed in our hands. Let's buy some cars. Honestly. And he did it to the end of his life. Look how proud that bloke is there next to him. With his goggles. Probably only went 20 miles an hour. But I need goggles, ladies and gentlemen, to protect my eyes. I love it. Use everything that God has placed in your hands. Whatever it takes, legally, to proclaim Christ. To win some. And yet so much we hold back. We worry about what people think about what we're doing. We worry about the funds. We, we worry about you know, the ideas that people have about the things we're doing. Don't want people to get the wrong idea. Booth's like, stuff that. If I can get a crowd of poor, broken people, I'll buy a few cars. Then I'll stand in the back and I'll proclaim Christ. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. So I'm going around the country in a camper van. See what happens. Put it on Facebook Live. Watch this space. I'm praying we're going to win a whole bunch of people to Christ. Maybe it's a word for the church. Maybe. Maybe there'll come a point in time where God will plant some crazy idea. Simon's heart or someone else's heart in the elders and, and they'll present this idea and you'll remember Beatty said buy a Ferrari <laughs> that's the way to do it I don't know but use everything that God has placed in our hands because here's the thing the gospel changes everything I'm going to read you this little passage from Philippians chapter 1 Paul the apostle wrote from prison New Testament's amazing and Paul's letters are amazing and the heart and passion with which he writes with it just like I'm like why, why can't I be like this? Paul's in some scummy jail when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippians, chained to a guard. It's with the Praetorian guard, actually. It's hardcore stuff. I mean, you could die. And this is what he writes. And I'm going to read a mighty chunk of the Bible. Purely because I want to ca you to capture the heart of it. 
heart of what he's saying. It says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. I'm reading from the uh, NASB version, which is really close to the original language. Bondservant meaning slave, just to even pause there. So much I find these days, there's conditional Christianity. I give my life to Christ and I'll serve as long as I can protect this, this and this. So I keep a few quid in the bank, preserve my pension pot. As long as it doesn't disturb my Friday nights. Paul's like, I'm a slave. I've got no rights. Whatever you ask me to do, Father, wherever you tell me to go, I'm there. Because I'm a slave. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy, in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's writing this from a scummy prison. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. This is a man in prison, possibly facing death, thinking, my heart is overwhelmed because there's a bunch of people out there who are sharing in the gospel with me. I'd be like, my heart would be overwhelmed if I could have a cheeky chicken booner in prison. Can I have some nice food? Maybe a lovely bed. He's like, no, my heart's full of joy because I know you're out there and you love Jesus like I do and you're giving everything for it. God is my witness, he says in verse 8, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, it's almost a word over you guys, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. You just get this sense, don't you, that these guys, their eyes are on heaven. Jesus gives us life to the full now, but they live with a sense of heaven on their shoulders. They're looking up. So it's like a whisper, isn't it? Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Even through the storms. Keep looking up. Jesus is near. God is near. And go in there one day. Beautiful stuff. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. <laughs> I'm in prison. That's good for the gospel. Amazing. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. In other words, I'm going to give it large in front of the Praetorian Guard. I'm going to let everyone know I'm here for Christ. And I'm so chuffed because everyone else is growing in confidence now. So eyes are on the gospel the whole time. Utterly astonishing. Some, to be sure, it says in verse 15, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. No, I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Many people read verse 21 
and they don't read the rest. It precedes it. I eagerly expect and hope, I think it says in the NIV, I eagerly expect and hope that I will not be put to shame. So all his mind's on, in prison, the opening of this letter is, I thank my God that there are people out there participating in the gospel. And I pray and I hope that I will live and stand strong for the gospel. That's all his heart is centred on. I think, wow, why can I be like that? I wish I was. It's so hard. A few years ago, I was invited to Italy to set up Christian Vision for Men there. And um, fascinating country. I mean, it's great. Coffee's amazing. Food's incredible. Wine's good. I'm like, thank you, God, for giving me this ministry when I went out there. And, um, and I tried to turn on a bit of Italian style. Come on to that in a bit. It didn't work. I'm from Dagenham. It's very hard to capture Italian style when you're born in Dagenham. Anyway, you can try. But you just can't get it out of your DNA. Anyway, what I discovered was that in, um, you know, our Italian brothers and sisters in Christ are amazing believers. But they also uh, have a, a love for, for good hospitality. Every single meeting, they would say, Gal, Gal, you want a digestive before we start? Digestive? I thought he meant digestive biscuits. Apparently not. It's alcohol. So I say, yes, I'd love a digestive. No, no, no. Wrong type. I soon discovered every single meeting. It'd be like 11.30 in the morning. Before we talk business, you like a digestive? I'd be Okay, great. I mean, the meetings went fantastically well. Every single one. And after a day of meetings, well, probably a whole morning of meetings, everyone, yeah, digestive? <laughs> Certainly, bring them on. Um, I was wearing beige chinos, brown leather shoes, and a purple flowery shirt with some Ray-Bans. It was a shocking look, actually, looking back. And I had a few of these digestives in meetings, and they said, Carl, we want to take you to a Bible college. So fantastic. And um, before I went, I had a little drink, a cup of coffee. And then they sat me in the back of a car. And we went driving up into the Cotian Alps. And it's near Turin, the borders of France. And um, we sort of kept going up, um, which is a bit odd. Because I didn't think Bible colleges would be at the top of mountains. And eventually we parked up. And uh, we started to walk up a track. I'm in beige chinos, a flowery shirt, nice brown shoes. Track had a little stream running through it, cow pats, things like that. I was getting a bit messy, a bit hot and sweaty. And underneath the surface, I was getting a little bit annoyed. Before you find it hard to believe, I was getting a bit frustrated with the state of my chinos and the sweat on my shirt. But it kept going up and up and up. And eventually, we came to a clearing. I'll never forget this. This beautiful clearing, like a meadow, with two old stone ruins in it. Like huts, like stone huts type thing. And they said, this at a Bible college. I said, it's a cow shed. They said, no, it's a Bible college. I said, it's a cow shed. So why are you showing me this? They said, have you not heard of the Valdensians? I said, No. Anyone here, actually, I've interest. Anyone here heard of the Valdensians? No one. You wait for this. The story is this: is a man called Peter Valdo in the 1100s. He was a merchant. 
Peter Valdo is a rich man, very rich man, who's having dinner with a friend. His friend died in front of him of a heart attack. Peter Valdo was shocked to the core. He lived in Lyon in France. Because of that, he turned to the Bible for some reason. The Bible was only read in Latin by the priests at the time in the Catholic Church. Peter Valdo was a clever man, could read the Bible for himself. Most people couldn't. And he read the Gospels. Something happens when you read the Gospels. I recommend you do it. If you're not a follower of Christ, read the Gospel. You'll meet Jesus. And he started to read the Gospel. And he's like, wow, this man, Jesus, is amazing. Becomes a Christian. He's going to church all his life. Becomes a Christian. So he starts telling his mates in the clergy, because he's a rich man. He's connected to the church. He starts seeing the clergy about Jesus. So he's reading the Gospels properly and explaining it. And he leads the clergy to Christ in Lyon. The clergy gets saved. True story. So the clergy then start telling the people about Jesus. And the people start getting saved. So Peter Valder's like, this is amazing. So he starts training up evangelists. One to be an evangelist on the street. That'd be my level. Then he'd be another type of evangelist who just went after the clergy. He trained up apologists to convert the clergy. And then he trained up people to be theologians and apologists to train the people who were reaching the clergy and to keep the movement sharp theologically. And they became known as the Valdensians. Guess who didn't like it? The Pope. And Pope Innocent, his name is Pope Innocent, set up an extermination army to chase and kill the Valdensians as they became known. And he chased them through Europe. And eventually, by the 1500s, the Valdensians had a proper structure going and Bible colleges, except they weren't Bible colleges like you and I would think. What they did was this. It was young men that they took, mostly aged between 18 and 21. They would take young men up into the mountains in autumn before the snow fell with supplies and Bibles and teaching materials. All over the Cotian Alps are these stone huts that were Bible colleges, all over the Cotian Alps. Valdensian Bible colleges. 20 blokes at a time in all these little huts. And they'd go up with an educator. And they'd teach them how to preach and proclaim and witness for Christ. Why? Because the Roman, uh, the, the Catholic uh, army uh, from Rome could not get up into the mountains in winter. To be cut off by the snow. So they knew they were safe to study in winter. When the snows melted in spring, the idea was they had winter to train up. And they would come out of the mountains in spring and proclaim Christ. For as long as possible. And I'm standing there in my muddy chinos, feeling a little bit chippy about it. And they said this. How long, they said, do you think the life expectancy was for a young man who came out of the mountains to proclaim Christ before he was martyred? Then I said, two weeks, they said. Two weeks. Go up in the mountains in autumn to die in the spring and summer. They would stream out of the mountains. They burnt alive. Some of them were put in caves, the hot oil was poured in. They showed me the site of a mass martyrdom where they round up all the evangelists and poured hot oil in there and killed them all. I stood there feeling ashamed. But what is it that grips someone so deeply? And you've not even heard of them. These people are incredible. What is it that grips people so deeply that they go up in the autumn to die the following summer? To live is Christ. To die is gain. It's because of this. They realized when they encountered Jesus, he's the bread of life, John 6.35. And when you've truly tasted the bread of life, like I did, 656, 22nd of April, 1990, you never taste anything so extraordinary in all your life. I felt clean. I felt fresh. I couldn't stop crying. Like my vision changed. 
Everything changed. When you meet Jesus, your soul feels satisfied in a way that I cannot even begin to describe to you. And two things just very quickly on that. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you, you might think that's a bold claim. Until you tasted the bread of life, that is Jesus Christ, you'll never comprehend just how beautiful a thing that is. Is If I'm right, then at least take a step towards it. Get yourself on an alpha course. But here's the other thing. If you're an established follower of Jesus, do you know what we forget? We forget. Our senses can get numbed and blunted by life. We forget just how precious the gospel is. Jesus is amazing, isn't he? And we say he lived, died and rose again. And we sing these songs. And yet somehow other things can take a priority. In the light of Christ, there is no greater priority than him. And once you taste the bread of life, man, you know it. And the power to transform lives that comes from Jesus is at a level I cannot even begin to explain, but I will attempt it. We do this thing. I founded this thing called The Gathering uh, nine years ago now. And The Gathering is like, um, it's the only evangelistic festival for men that I'm aware of. About a third of the people who go aren't, aren't Christian blokes. We get about, we should have 3,000 there next year. It runs over a weekend. We started with 300 blokes and the world's most grumpiest barman and not enough toilets and showers. And the whole thing was a disaster, but God blessed it. Ten people got saved and, and you know, we thought, let's go again the next year and suddenly exploded. You know, God loves using the chancer, doesn't he? He does, really. My, um, you know, chancer for Jesus. I've got two life mottos. Nothing ever happened to a bloke who didn't ever go. The second one is, let's see if we can get away with it. So um, we just saw if we can get away with it. We've seen, we've seen a thousand men get saved now. First time commitments through the gathering. That's amazing, isn't it? From a, from, a, from a little chance of a go from a bloke from Dagenham. So if he can use me, he can use you is what I'm saying. Anyway, this year, I was wandering through the big top and the field near Swindon, which is the only navigation directions you ever get. Uh, where's the gathering, they say? In the field near Swindon. Just look for the big tops. Drive around, you'll find it. It's actually nowhere near Swindon. It's in the Cotswolds, but it's fun, isn't it? And um, it's on Google Maps, though. It's a field near Swindon. If you put in field near Swindon, it's on Google Maps. Um, anyway, I was walking through the big top on a Friday night, and uh, Tough Talk was speaking to a bunch of ex-gangsters and villains and hard men who had come to Christ. And they were with a young man who was crying, young man, very smartly dressed, a uh, bit of a hipster beard going on, uh, just about 30 years old. Um, he was weeping with Arthur White, four-time world powerlifting champion uh, and gangster who gave his life to Jesus, a great mate of mine. He'd led this young man to Christ. And Arthur goes, his name's is Arthur. Because Arf goes, beat it, come over here, meet Matt. So I go over and, and, and I said, what's your story? And he goes, I'll cut this short because of time. He basically says, I'm a career criminal. He speaks like this. He goes, I'm a career criminal. I had three kilos of cocaine in my house last night. <laughs> three kilos of cocaine. Like, if you're not into this, which you're probably not, that's a lot of cocaine. If you do know that's a lot of cocaine, you've just calculated the street value. Can I pray for you after? Because you probably need the Lord. Um, <laughs> So, um, so well, and he goes, and I woke up next to a woman I don't know, and now I'm here. I've just met Jesus. It's amazing. So it's incredible. He goes, yeah, I'm a, I'm a drug dealer. I said, well, you were a drug dealer. He went, yeah. I said, what are you going to do with the cocaine? He went, don't know. So well, well, we'll work it out over the weekend. <laughs> the next day, next morning, I was walking through the big top, uh, sorry, the mess tent, which is a bar that seats a thousand, and. Um, as we walk through, Matt's there. He comes bouncing over. He goes, Beachy, Beachy. I go, Matt, how'd you sleep? He goes, Amazing. Slept so well. He said, But something's happened. So what's that? He said, I hated the police. 
I called him filth. My dad was a cop, so I'm well aware of the terms. He said, I hated them. They're my enemy. He said, I woke up this morning loving the police. <laughs> wow. I see tears in his eyes. He says, I need you to help me. He said, do you know any police here? And I went, loads, mate. Yeah, because I didn't quite tell him how many. The Christian Police Association, it's their annual Beano. They go to the gathering, <laughs> along with the Armed Forces Christian Union, we have fighter pilots there. I've got a very funny story about RF fighter pilots, if I get the time. And um, really funny. Uh, anyway, they're all there, all the military there. And we have a police riot squad demonstration every year, too. Um, we have a takedown squad for men that expressively dance at the front with streamers. Because it's fun. Just a joke. It's a joke. Anyway, um, so he said, when I turned up and I saw all the meat wagons, riot squad vans, he said, I nearly did a runner. I only came one, mate, because he was worried I was going to end up dead. So he said, come to me this weekend. He said, I saw these police wagons. He said, I was like fuming. And, he said, but I'm like, I'm full of love for police. He said, I want to hug a policeman. He said, can you help me with that? I went, of course I can help you with that. I said, do you want to play along with something? He went, yes. I said, I'll tell you what, what I'm going to do, let's have a public act of reconciliation. That would be beautiful. He went, I'd love that. I said, make it real. He said, yeah. I said, I'll call you out the front. I said, this is Matt. He wants to hug a police. I'll say you're a criminal. I said, I won't mention you've got three kilos of cocaine in your house at this point. So it would be great if we could take care of it before this evening. He <laughs> said, and, um, and uh, I said, what we'll do is, um, I'll say to any police here and get you a hug. He went, yeah, fantastic. So I didn't see him the rest of the day. That evening comes, two and a half thousand men in there. I said, this is Matt, everybody. Matt was a career criminal. Didn't say drug dealer. He said, career criminal, gave his life to Christ, hated the police. Now he loves the police. He's getting a round of applause. They're standing ovation. Like people are so pumped that this young man's come to Christ. Then I said, he wants to hug a policeman. Knowing full well there were a lot of police there. I said, are there any Christian policemen who want to give Matt a hug? As I said that, honestly, dozens of cops start running in the big top towards Matt. At that moment, I thought, oh no, what if there's a warrant out? I've totally, re- I've just, honestly, I said there, and my, my second in command at Syria is looking at me going, because I hadn't told anyone what I was doing, he's going, <laughs> <laughs> I, li- I, li- I actually thought they were going to carry him out. I thought, oh no, they're putting their little secret school police friends going, oh yeah, face matches, get him, lads. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, they're still cops. But oh no. But then they got to him. It takes a long time to get down the front. And Matt was getting a bit twitchy. <laughs> so, anyway, they got to him and they hugged him. They threw their arms around him. And they started to cry. One of them kissed his head. Another, another tough cop. He's cupped his face, just looked in his eyes. I've never seen anything like it. It was one of the most moving and powerful things I've ever seen. Reconciliation between career criminal and police in front of two and a half thousand men. And this policeman came over to me after, a sergeant came over to me and said, I had PTSD, stabbed and wounded badly in the line of duty. He said, as I hugged that young man, he said, I felt all the PTSD leave my body. And he's still free of it today. How amazing is that? Only the gospel can do that, ladies and gentlemen. Only Jesus can do it. He couldn't make it up. He couldn't make it up. The love of Christ changes the game. Every time. It's why Booth would stand in the back of a car. It's why the Valdensians would stream out of the mountains. It's why you will not quit. Or let yourself get back on the front foot and not live with passion for Jesus. If you'd let him put his spirit through you, he will 
not want to leave you as you are. He wants you to be on the front foot of his purposes, living for him with passion. And I'll say this to you, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, he doesn't want to leave you as you are. He'll take you to the wire in terms of transforming you and changing you. But he wants you as his precious son and daughter like he wanted Matt. And, and, and if you're a believer here, you know that there are people that you know who don't yet know Christ. Why would you not use everything that God has placed in your hands to win some? I'm desperate for my neighbours to Christ. I'm desperate. Do whatever it takes. My neighbour flies model aircraft. I'm not that interested in flying model aircraft. I'm quite busy. I even went to his model aircraft flying club with the intention of leading him to Christ. I nearly wrecked his plane, actually. Another story. But you do whatever you can. What happened to Matt was he realised he had a father in heaven. Romans 8.15, by the Holy Spirit we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. And know that we're sons or daughters of the living God. And you'd been loved and accepted, transformed, and he repented. His life has changed. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ wipes no person off. He's a God who gives a thousand, thousand second chances. I, I just, I, I'm aware of time, but I do want to say this. I said earlier I led Danny to Christ, my daughter's boyfriend. I led him to Christ at an Alpha course. And I held hands across the table with him as he wept. He's got a criminal record. Struggled with addiction. Was working out community service where I led him to Christ. And um, I actually held his hands as he wept and he looked up. I could see he was different in his eyes. You know what he said to me? He goes, Beatty. See, I think I just met the Lord. I said, you just have Danny, boy. And he said, can I have a celebratory roll-up and a pint? I went, you can. <laughs> I stood out with him as he had a fag and a pint, weeping that he just met the Lord. I thought, well, you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, maybe add a filter tip next time. <laughs> and um, we're working him. Anyway, long, very long story short, my daughter wanted another type of tattoo, a back piece thing, and so I introduced her to Danny, who had a reputation as an incredible fine artist, it was my fault they fell in love. They fell in love during the tattoo process. Actually, Emily, because she drew out the tattoo better than he did. And then he put it on her. And, and when Monday they announced they'd fallen in love, I came home from a road trip. Let me just be honest. Do you have aspirations about who your daughter goes out with? Mine was kind of nothing much. Orthopedic surgeon, you know, <laughs> airline pilot. You know, I didn't want too much. And no. She fell in love with a tattoo artist in Clay Cross with a criminal record and a background of addictions. My wife found me up in my cellar, which is my man cave study. Three o'clock in the morning I was praying. Couldn't get to sleep, worrying about my daughter. And um, my wife came and said, what are you doing? So I'm praying till I leave you be. And the Lord spoke to me in the early hours. I won't mention this out of any cathartic reason. I believe this is a word. I had no idea to mention this at all. It was simply this. The Lord said to me, you're the man who stands on a platform and says, God gives a thousand second chances and writes no man off until it comes into your own home. Next time I saw him, I gave him a hug and he kissed me head. He didn't have to kiss me head. He could have just given me a hug. But I'm going to love Danny. And that's the Lord. It's a picture of what the Lord does. You might be sitting here thinking you're a scumbag. You're not. You're one of God's precious creations. You're his son or daughter. 
You just need to reach out to him as he's reaching out to you. There may be people in your lives, you're a believer, who you are struggling with. They're one of God's potential precious sons and daughters. The love of Christ can change the game. Whether you're Booth, the Valdensians, whether you're Matt, my mate with three kilos of cocaine in his house, the gospel is for everybody. Would you stand with me? And as we finish, I want to do this. Unique to this particular moment. If you listen to me and you think, there are, I'm not on the front foot. There are people that I struggle with, things that I struggle with, but I need to get back on the front foot. It's a very simple, personal thing between you and the Lord. If you think, I've heard this, I want to give everything that God has placed in my hands. I don't know what that's going to look like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I feel this thing. I need to, start, I need to do more, be more, give more, stand more for Christ. I, I, there's a bunch of space down the front, and there's the old space. Would you kneel before him? Just, just give me some tea. Just come forward and kneel and say, here I am, God. And just kneel before him. A private, personal moment for the Lord. As the music plays, it's a sacred moment. So I'll give more, use more, do more, be more. Whatever it is, God, whatever it takes, I want to do more for you. Would you come forward now and kneel? Just come now and kneel before him. Say, here I am. Use me. It's a little personal, sacred moment for the Lord. If anything in your heart has been stirred up, and you privately, coming forward to kneel, just gives it teeth. Spread up the aisles. He's just saying, here I am, God. In King's Arms Church in Bedford, use me. Use everything that God has placed in my hands. Give it a moment to think about it. And as God speaks, so kneel before your Father in heaven. And I'm going to pray that he anoints you with power and a new fresh sense of vision and purpose for the next stage of your life. And if you're here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you want to kneel before God and say well I don't understand it all but here I am there's a little private moment between you and him do the same and if that's you don't leave this church without speaking to one of the leaders but you've still got time let's just use this moment now if it's speaking to you just come and kneel before your father in heaven say here I am use me wherever you are just kneel before him it's good to get on your knees before father sometimes you know here I am God use me Thank you, Father. We pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with power. Fill us with power to be your people in your way, in a way that pleases and honors you. Use this church. Use these people. Pour out your spirit. Come now. In Jesus' name. Amen.